unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing good. I feel like uh, I feel like a little bit tired this morning. I don't know what it is, um, but hopefully you'll be able to you'll be able to energize me with today's topic. Yeah, and I'd I'd love your feedback on some of this stuff because you're a very creative person and you know from experience the limits of quote unquote creativity in copywriting. So, but I'm, I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. I'm pretty excited about this one actually. Okay, so we're we're re-examining or revisiting the concept of creativity when it comes to copywriting. Then, oh yeah, this has to do with a specific book. Well, let me let me just tell you the story and a specific definition of creativity that's different from anything I've ever heard before. So, a couple months ago, okay, I was watching this great documentary called Brian Wilson. I wasn't made for these times, and. This opening is the last time I'm going to mention Brian Wilson in this podcast. And in the documentary, Brian mentioned an amazing book called The Act of Creation by Arthur Kessler with a K. And I quickly realized just from his brief description that there was some gold in this book that no one in this space has admitted they've mined yet. And the book proposed and all in theory on three states of mind people use when they're creative. And that information in itself is useful for copywriters. But it occurred to me that the same ideas from this book about these three states of mind would be even more useful in helping us reach into the minds of our prospects to close more sales with our copy. Okay, so those three states of mind can be shorthanded as humor, scientific thinking, and art. And I'll break this down and translate it to copy, but first I'd like to say something that requires no translation at all. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear and see on this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about these three things one at a time, humor, scientific thinking, and art. And I'll also share a little bit of what Kessler says about each one, and then we'll quickly pivot from general creativity to what you need to do in your copy to stimulate these states of mind in your prospects. Is that clear so far? Yes. Okay, good. So humor. Humor is, and again, I'm getting this mostly from Kessler, and I agree with it, but humor is about tension, surprise, and mismatching. Humor is about when things don't go the way you expected. So here's what Kessler says in the book. Humor depends primarily on its surprise effect. To cause surprise, the humorist must have a modicum of originality. 
the ability to break away from the stereotyped routines of thought. Okay, he's um, sort of old school and British, so that might sound a little starchy, but what he's saying is, in other words, when it comes to your prospects, take them where they don't expect to go. Now, we've talked on other podcasts about the dangers of using humor and copy if you don't know exactly what you're doing, because otherwise it can hurt your sales, even destroy them. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But let me start with a meme that my brother sent me an email just to share. It was a joke. It was a picture of a crow walking on the pavement with a little tracking tag, and he's holding a steak knife in his mouth. And it said, you know it's a rough neighborhood when birds are wearing ankle monitors and are armed with knives. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was sort of funny, but I was thinking, okay, just this week I worked with a client who is doing a self-defense thing from a former black operative. And one of the things he's selling is this knife that... Uh, that these guys use and carry with them um, for extreme situations. And having a joke about, you know, a bird with a rusty steak knife in its beak is not the way to start that. It'll definitely get attention and probably get a laugh. It wouldn't help to make a sale. So, you know, there's an example of humor that doesn't work, okay? Just to be real clear, there are people out there who... Um, are so experimental with their creativity, they might try that. And all I can say is if you really want to find out and you want your copy to bomb, there's a perfect thing to do with it. The key thing to use in copywriting with humor is the idea of surprise and paradox and unexpected stuff. So I've, I've um, pulled out three techniques that we can use that are related to humor that people actually use. For example, you could have a headline like this, Astounding Healing Secret Discovered in Chernobyl. Okay. Um, now, there's a contradiction here um, because Chernobyl is associated with extreme toxic toxicity. That's where the uh, you know, nuclear power plant melted down in the old Soviet Union. and uh, Healing secret is related, associated to health. Uh, now, this could be a headline talking about how they actually planned it. This is true. This part's true. The headline's made up. This part's true. The Soviets planted cannabis all throughout Chernobyl because cannabis is an accumulator drug. It pulls all of the toxins and everything else out of the soil. So I don't quite know what the product or the offer would be, but that, that's an example. It's like humor, but it's not humor. I mean, if you wanted to do something funny with it, you could say, after he got back from Chernobyl, one of my friends said, after I got back from Chernobyl, one of my friends said to me, David, you look absolutely radiant, <laughs> right? And I think you get the difference. So that's, that's technique. Number one out of humor is contrast. Uh, technique number two is surprise and oddities. Maybe it's another version of the same thing, but this creates more curiosity. Um, you take an unusual fact, some unexpected 
phenomenon. Like, let's say you're doing a keto diet, especially to people who are not familiar with it. You have have very um, unaware market. You could use a headline like, these fats actually help you lose weight. Now, anyone who's using a keto diet would instantly know what you're talking about. But for a lot of people who've been indoctrinated about the four food groups and, you know, all of the things that big food has tried to get people to think for years, this might be a shocker that you could then prove with research about the keto diet and um, crab circle and all of those things. So um, there, these fats actually help you lose weight. And there is one place that you can use humor that is pretty safe and effective. Again, it's a good idea to know what you're doing because some people aren't good at writing jokes. Whether it's copy or not, writing humor in general is one of the most difficult things to write. I agree. Yeah. So um, let's say you were writing a promo about a particular supplement or a line of supplements or, you know, a, um, like a supplement subscription box or something. You could, I don't know if you'd want to uh, put this in your lead or not. I don't know if you'd want to use a saw, but you could probably get away with something like this. A reporter was surprised to find the CEO of a big pharma company shopping in a health food store. What are you doing here? The reporter asked him. Oh, explained the exec. I'm not here to get rich. I'm here to get healthy. So, um, eh, it, it's, it's a little bit of humor there. It's definitely, you know, sticking the shiv into the side of big pharma by personalizing it with a CEO who won't eat his own cooking. <laughs> I think uh, also the thing to remember is who is your market? What are they going to find funny? Because uh, a joke that has one person rolling might deeply offend another person. And so you've really got to know what is my market going to find humorous? I, I, I totally agree. That's why I said common enemy. And in order to know the common enemy, you got to know who your market considers the enemy. So if your market considered big pharma, the enemy, um, not trying to explain the joke, just why the joke might work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do you have any other thoughts about humor in terms of this slightly aggressive state breaker, this um, idea of contradiction or surprise or paradox? I would just kind of, I'd like to get your thoughts on, and maybe we touched on it a little bit. I don't know if surprise is really the whole aspect. I mean, you, you hear like the knock, knock jokes, orange, you glad I didn't say banana. <laughs> like, Oh, okay. That surprised me. And it was kind of humorous, but I think there's more to humor than just surprise because surprise and, and chuckling are two different emotional reactions. Uh, what do you think the extra ingredient is that makes something humorous rather than just surprising? Boy, that's a good question. I think it's the degree to which you create a disconnect that's like really a startling um, between where the person thought you were going to go with it and where you're going to go with it. Uh, you know, that that's hard to say. You know, in terms of this for copywriting, 
it's about incongruous juxtapositions like John Carlton talks about, you know, Chernobyl and healing or fats that make you lose weight. You know, all three of these things are to move the, the brain out of its slumber. You know, a lot of people walk around with their brains half asleep, even if their bodies are wide awake. And, and humor will, will definitely light up some neurons in the brain that I think will shake things up enough to make a person say, hey, I might want to buy that. Yeah, I think uh, maybe, I want to say maybe being lighthearted has something to do with it or being um, maybe uplifting. But then I think about some of the dark humor jokes that I've laughed at and I'm like, oh, those were not very uplifting. So it's, it's one of those things. It's definitely humor is hard to explain and it's definitely hard to write. So, uh, and, and even doubly so when it comes to writing copy. So it's one of those things that definitely takes a while to master. And, and um, like uh, Kevin over at Copy Chief, he's one of the people that's brilliant at intertwining comedy into his, uh, into his copy. But I mean, that was what he did before he became a copywriter. So He is brilliant. And um, I just hung out with him and a bunch of other people at the Platinum Mastermind this weekend. And yeah, he, it's, it's like... You sort of have to have your brain wired that way and then get a lot of experience to build up the neural pathways. So for people who aren't comedians and aren't especially good at writing jokes, I think the takeaway from this section is to find contrasts that are surprising and find ways to express things that are unexpected that get the reader open to thinking more about your offer. And maybe also practice the age-old method of swiping. If you know that there's something comedic about a specific joke and you can intertwine it into your copy, no need to reinvent the wheel. Just uh, use what was funny about the joke and um, that'll probably have a better chance of landing than something that you forced or shoehorned in there. I love that. You're, you're absolutely right. If you can find something that worked and adapted, it's often better than your brand new brilliant idea, which has never been tested. Often, not always, but often. Yep. So humor out of the way, we've got scientific thinking next. Okay, so scientific thinking. Let me start out with a quote from Kessler in his book. The laws of disciplined thinking demand that we should stick to a given frame of reference and not shift from one universe of discourse to another, he says. When I am arguing about Shakespeare's play, I'm throwing in Shakespeare's play because he assumes people, everybody knows all Shakespeare's play. When I'm arguing about Richard III and someone quotes from the play, my kingdom for a horse, I am not supposed to shift my attention to my chances of drawing a winner in the Grand National, which is a big horse race in the UK, however tempting that may be. In other words, it's sort of linear thinking, tunnel vision, very narrow. He says that a lot of great discoveries, breakthroughs, ideas come when a person locks themselves into logical or scientific thinking for a while, and then they go take a walk or take a nap or take a shower or take five or whatever they are doing to get away from it. But there is some value in that. And I think in copy, there's some value in having logical sections. Now, I was thinking about this before we started, and 
it seems like there are some copywriters in some niches that only stick to this, at least. I'm not sure there are people who sell entirely with humor, although I have seen a few consumer promos here and there which actually work with humor, but let's not even go there. It's just it's like a black swan. It's too much of a rarity. But with logic in certain spaces, if you can make good arguments, you don't need that much of anything else. Now, the arguments may have to be benefit-based and very carefully thought through, and I would never recommend pure logic to anybody. It goes against the basic rule of sell with emotion and justify with logic. But logic is an important part of a lot of copy. And just like in many other parts of life, there is definitely a place for keeping your eye on the ball and sticking to strict logic in your copy. So let's let's look at a, a few ways of doing this. One is chain of logic. This is difficult. It's an advanced technique. Um, Million Dollar Mike Morgan talked about this. It basically requires some meta thinking. That is, for your if your prospect is going to believe this, which is at the end of the letter, he needs to she needs to believe this. In order to believe this, she needs to believe this. In order to believe this, she needs to believe this. In order to believe this, she needs to believe this. And wow, you know, that's, that's hard mental work. That's called cha- chain of logic. And it's, it's very valuable. Um, it's the kind of thinking you need to be able to do anyway, because uh, whether you're going to have a chain of logic or not, you need to think a lot about what your prospects believe now and what they need to believe in order to buy what you're selling. So that's one example. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leave you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. Another example of the use of logic and copy is anticipating questions, both requests for information and objections to, to buying that your reader's going to have and preempting those or bringing them up yourself and answering them. And, you know, a particularly good example, which often works in the lead right after a headline is the old logical if-then situations. If you are looking for someone to help you with copy and funnels, then you should talk to Nathan Fraser. You know, that, that's, that's an example for, of, of if-then. And the third technique I can think of is describing events and describing a process in a sequential way. 
um, getting things only in the right sequence and never leaving out any of the major steps. This is very hard to do, and it's worth it because it gives you the clarity that you need to communicate something so another person can easily imagine that. Let me say that again. It gets the clarity you need to give to another person so they can easily imagine that. If you can get your prospect imagining how they're going to do something or how something's going to work or how they're going to get a benefit, you're a long way to selling them. Okay. Two things that come to mind on this. Number one, when we're writing copy, we do have to be creative, but we also have to logically go through, like you said, million dollar Mike's thing where he has to reverse engineer. How do I get them to step 12? If I can't even get them past step one, I need to get them past step one, then past step two, then past step three. Uh, the other thing that I know is just from, I just recently released a, a book on writing sales pages and I sent it to my editor. There was a lot of spaces because I'm, fo- I'm so focused on persuasive writing. There was a lot of spots in my book where he said things that if I was looking at it logically, I would have realized. He said, this sentence, you start off speaking from one point of view and then you end the sentence speaking from another person's point of view. You start off speaking from the copywriter's point of view and then you end it speaking from the website visitor's point of view. Um, those are logical things that as persuasive writers, we might put on the back burner that we need to check as we're going through and editing. And then the other thing that I was going to say is, I know that for my two... I have two people on my team that are uh, web designers. And when they make purchases, they're not usually won over by emotional arguments. They're almost always won over by the specs. They're won over by the very logical reasons to buy. So knowing who your market is... And then saying, am I going to weigh heavier on backing up the emotions with logic? Or am I going to use more of the emotional arguments to sell? Um, Knowing who your market again is uh, one of the most important things when it comes to figuring out, should I use humor? Should I use scientific thinking? Or should I use what we're going to be talking about next? Yeah, those are all all really good points. And um, of course, a lot of this gets down to knowing your knowing your buyer, because I'm, I was smiling when you were talking about um, your editor and you're changing a point of view in a sentence. Sometimes that's a perfectly great, perfectly good and really effective persuasion technique. But in, in a book where you're trying to clearly communicate an idea um, factually, you need to stick more to the logical frame. So great, great example. So the third one, is is interesting and i think the the third one is where a lot of people not all a lot of people who get into copywriting want to go and really only want to be and that is art art or meaningful experience and it is possible i suppose if you think of the andre chaperone approach to you know storytelling and you know soap opera email sequences and so forth I'm always a little uncomfortable if if you try to do that unless again you're you're really really good at it and you know how to make it work. I think it's better to mix these things up. But nevertheless, I think this is a very important part of it. Art. So what's art? Art is the emotional description, the subjective 
description in words and images, music and other media of things we experience in life. When it's done well, one of the great things about art is it helps people give more meaning to parts or all of their own lives. And so in terms of applying this to copywriting, when you can put meaningful references in your copy, you can deepen your prospect's experience as they read your copy. And this is not some qualitative or squishy or woo-woo thing. This actually talks about emotional engagement and getting them to live in the world mentally that you want them to live in and the world of, of your product so that they want to have it, so they want to buy it when it's done right. Um, when you can put meaningful references in copy, you can deepen your prospects' experiences as they read your copy, and that will increase your chances of getting higher conversions. So let me read you a little quote from Kessler from the book. Literature begins with the telling of a tale. The tale represents certain events by means of auditory and visual signals. The events thus represented are mental events in the narrator's mind. His motive is the urge to communicate these events to others. This last part is the crucial part. And to make them relive his thoughts and emotions. Now that's kind of cerebral, but what he's saying is the highest use of art is to communicate experiences and the specific feelings that go along with those experiences. And this is something you can put in your copy too. Now, Nathan, you've done art professionally and um, I would say extracurricularly as a graffiti artist. So um, could you talk about this? I think this is something you really know a lot about. I think that it's a dangerous thing. It's in copy. We know we need to stir up emotions. We know we need to create a connectivity with our prospect. And when it comes to writing, one of my favorite techniques, especially for hooks, is to use stories. I love using hooks to pull, I, I love using stories to pull people in. Stories work great for lowering the defenses. Stories work great for transferring an idea and making them come up with the idea themselves rather than me trying to push the idea on them. But I also have noticed that sometimes when the story is too powerful, it can take away from the sales message. People can say, people can walk away being like, man, I was totally moved by that. But if it doesn't naturally lead to the sales, to the promotion, um, people will love the story, but people won't necessarily take the action that you want them to take. And uh, we see this a lot of times with, with like uh, not direct response marketing, like mass marketing, where it's all about the story. It's all about the emotions. And they fall short when it comes to calling people to action. Um, so I think that my thoughts on it are is it's important, but it's important to have a healthy mix rather than lean a hundred percent on the art aspect. And I think that a lot of times big brand advertisers and even copywriters, I think we lead we le we lean too much on the art aspect of it. And I think that it is dangerous. What are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, I agree about a couple of things. One is about when the story is so powerful that it overwhelms the rest of the copy, that's not 
usually good. And secondly, there needs to be a mix. I would say that stories and and other things I'm going to talk about in this tiny section of the podcast, they need to fit into the three purposes of sales copy, which are to make the sale, to make the sale, and oh yeah, to make the sale, (laughs) right? And if, if the story helps do that, it's a good story. If the story takes away from that, yeah, I don't care if it's Homer or not Homer Simpson, but like ancient Greek Homer or F. Scott Fitzgerald or anyone you can think of, any great artist, it's it's not good for copy. So, uh, yeah, I think I think we're saying the same thing in different ways. Besides stories, there are themes or values or subjects that you can refer to that because I think the thing here is less about stories and less about art and more about things you can put in your copy that give meaning that create something important and significant for the prospect. So for example, anything that appeals to universal values, what are they? Well, family is one, respect is one, security is one. Everybody's family has meaning to them. And Let's be clear, it's not the same meaning for everybody. Some people feel love and warmth and acceptance from their family. Others may feel distance, even hostility from their families. But there are few people who are just indifferent about their families. There are some, but not many. So let's say you're selling into a market where value of family is very strong. You talk about family in the positive. If you're in a wide open market where there's a range of feelings about people's families, you can acknowledge that and say something like, but no matter how you feel in normal times, when the chips are really down, families almost always stick together and find ways to support each other. And even a statement like that can stir up emotions in your prospect and move them closer to a yes. Life insurance companies use this all the time. You'll see variations of this message in their ads. Once you're gone, will your family be taken care of? You'll sleep better while you're still with us and healthy if you cover your family with a good insurance policy in case anything happens to you. So that's about universal values and respect and security. Let's talk about values that are not universal but specific to your market like um, business owners, for example. Over the years, I've found business owners have three values that are pretty common, control, freedom, and opportunity. Those are pretty high in their hierarchy of values. So let's say I'm pitching business owners to do a copy critique. I can mention, I will probably be able to see things better from their customer's point of view and more than they will, and I'll help them boost the power of their copy. And that's just talking about benefits, and that could work. But if I talk about it in terms of their values, and I say something like, a copy critique will actually give you more control of your time, more freedom to work on the things you're really good at, without worrying all the time about whether there's something that needs to be fixed in your copy, It's really less detailed and less process-oriented than what I said the first time, but it speaks to the two things that are crucially important to almost all business owners. 
control of their time and freedom to use their time the way they want. So that's value specific to your market. And the third one is identity. And this is related to specific values, but it's more about how your prospects see themselves in terms of their roles and their group affinity in the world as a writer or a business owner or a libertarian or an environmentalist or a grandpa. So again, let's say I'm writing to a group of business owners and they also happen to be libertarian. That's, I think, fairly a good assumption. There are, you know, libertarians to the center, libertarians to the left, libertarians to the right. But I think that's true for a lot of business owners. And let's say I was offering some kind of training. I might say something like this. As a business owner, you'll appreciate how this training not only helps the folks working at your business become better team players when that's appropriate, but it also helps them build and improve lasting skills in self-reliance. And self-reliance is a very high libertarian value. So that's going to go ding, 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 you know, with, with his or her identity a lot. Okay? So that's number three, identity. So let's review the big picture. Um, I think we're going a little over time, Nathan, but I had a lot to cover here and I couldn't find a faster way to do any value. Arthur Kessler says in his book that there are three kinds of a mind, states of mind, that a creative person passes through on the way to coming up with new ideas and forms and realities for themselves. And these states of mind are humor, surprise, and scientific thinking or logic. Humor and surprise, scientific thinking or logic, and art or meaningful experience. And what Kessler says is that the creative person goes through these three states in different ways, depending on the person and the situation during a period of creative activity. And what we've done today is how you can write parts of your copy to evoke each of these states separately in your prospects as they read your copy to move the sale forward. So you mix it up to keep it interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that that's uh, my main takeaway from this is it does require a healthy balance of all of these different aspects. It's not it's not just one thing I hear people say, oh, people don't buy on logic, they buy on feelings, so focus on the feelings. And it's been my experience that if you only focus on the emotions and you don't have the logical reasons to back it up, uh, you're not going to make as many sales. So having the, having the humor, having the scientific thinking, and having the art all kind of mixed together and not letting one overwhelm the others is, uh, is, is something that's very healthy in your copywriting. Yeah, well, I have a couple of things to say to that. One is I'd like to know where you got that notion. And secondly, I second that emotion. <laughs> okay, David, another fantastic episode. I'm going to say this is going to be one of those ones where people should definitely go back and listen to it again. And with the knowledge at the end of it, a lot of the stuff at the beginning will make a lot more sense and they'll get a lot more out of it. If they've listened to it twice already and they still haven't gotten their copywriters fixed, where can they go to check out more episodes of this podcast? Oh, they can go to the copywriterspodcast.com. Copywriterspodcast.com. Yeah. Awesome. David, thank you so much, man. Until next time, we'll catch you later. Okay. Catch you later. If you found this show valuable, 
and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.